the dream of a automated supply chain is coming closer. It doesn't mean that we have no employees anymore in these warehouses, but the jobs will be different. So Husky has a strong apprenticeship program, not only for technical people, uh, but also for logistics and warehousing. So we just need to sell to the school kids uh, that logistics is the field that can meet all the expectations. Hello and welcome at Logistics Conversations, the podcast of the Cluster for Logistics Luxembourg. Through this podcast, you will discover the international world of our sector. Logistics is essential in Luxembourg and we want you to have a look behind the scene. Good morning and hello on the Logistics Conversations podcast. My name is Gibremer, Logistics Development Advisor at the Cluster for Logistics. And today I'm here with Michel Kweitsch, Logistics Manager at Husky and Education Enthusiast. So hello, Michael. Hello, Malik Zaniti, who is right next to me, the director of the Cluster for Logistics. Yeah, hello, Jill. Hello, Malik. Thanks for coming. I'm happy to have you here. So welcome to Husky Dudelange. Thank you very much. Happy to be in Dudelange. So today we are talking about the future of logistics with Michael, um, so amongst others, about innovations and talents uh, for the future of logistics. So... Michael, we are very happy to have you today on the podcast since you have been working for the past 14 years um, in supply chain management at Husky. And we only heard a lot of compliments about uh, what you have accomplished during that time. So I would really like to hear more about your background and uh, how did you arrive in the position you are today? Yeah, actually, my background is I'm a native German. So I did my, my first profession as a Speditionskaufmann is a forwarding agent in uh, Germany. Later on, an evening study for Verkehrsfachwirt, which is bachelor professional or similar to the future responsible logistics here in Luxembourg. And uh, held multiple management positions uh, in both sides of the business in the forwarding service industry and also in automotive industry, so on the shippers side. And uh, finally, since 14 years now, I'm with Husky. I started my career here as a project manager logistics, working for the supply chain at some uh, quite big projects in the beginning. And then in 2012, I became the logistics manager for EMEA, responsible for Luxembourg, the plants in Austria and Czech, uh, partially Switzerland and also India. Okay. Uh, can you explain a little bit to us what are Husky's activities here in Dudelange? Yes, uh, Husky, we are a high-tech machinery company. We are in the high-tech machinery industry and we serve the market uh, for PET moldings. Uh, here on Luxembourg campus, we do hot runners and mold. Uh, so our customers use our machines to produce, for example, PET bottles or beverage generally, also closures. And uh, we are a Canadian company. Our headquarters are based in Toronto, Canada. And we have other facilities in Shanghai, India, Milton, Vermont, and also one in uh, California. So could you also briefly describe supply chain management at Husky and also how many people are working in your department? Yeah, so I'm working as logistics manager. So logistics department, we have nine people here on the campus plus two in India, no, three, meanwhile, in India, uh, still two in Czech Republic. But the supply chain that we are a part of, it's much bigger. So we talk about more than 200 people globally. Uh, and here in campus, 
were around 20, 25. Uh, I really never count them. Um, so logistics is a, let's say, a internal service provider for the supply chain colleagues here and also in other campuses. So also, if I'm not mistaken, you make use of a control tower concept. Would you quickly explain that to our listeners and how this actually benefits Husky? Yes, this was actually my very first project when I started my, my uh, career here at Husky. Um, at that time, 14 years ago, Husky was uh, oriented in, in, in regional silos and we just became globalized. Uh, we had new owners and we made a global purchasing strategy, global supply chain, so all the square functions were established. And uh, so we got many new suppliers and we were buying all of our stuff in DDP or DAP base. So that means the suppliers that delivered to Husky and we had no control about that. And that had some negative impact. We had no idea when goods will arrive. We had a huge queue here in, at our ramp because uh, many, many different carriers came from, because every supplier had chosen their own uh, forward, of course. So the ramp situation was really not good. Uh, I paid a lot of overtime, forwards have not been happy, so it was time to change that. And also, of course, uh, the suppliers that had, let's call it, some hidden profit in their logistics cost that charged us. So it was time for a project to just improve that. So the idea was to change the incoterm to FCA, that we control the inbound freight. So we switched that uh, with all the suppliers, uh, especially here in Europe, that Husky controls the freight. This was the first step. And then the question was, how can we organize the inbound freight then afterwards? The problem is, or the challenge, um, that the suppliers are not serving only Luxembourg, they're serving in the new Husky supply chain uh, globally because we have global sourcing, global partially single sourcing. Uh, so a supplier could ship parts to Luxembourg, to Toronto, Bolton, to Milton, to Shanghai, wherever. And it's hard to tell the supplier, okay, if you have 50 kilos for Luxembourg, you choose this forwarder. If you have 300 kilos for Shanghai, you choose this one and ocean freight. If you have a ton to Canada, you choose this one. That's a little bit too much. And we said we have to simplify that for the suppliers. And that's why the idea of the control tower was born. And uh, it was natural to have it here in Luxembourg. So we spoke to our uh, incumbent uh, service providers and decided then for DHL Express. Uh, they had the capacity to give us that uh, uh, service. And we gave a routing order to all the suppliers to say, okay, if you have something to ship to Husky, it doesn't matter where it is in the world, Luxembourg or any other Husky location, you call this control tower, you place your pickup request there. And the control tower, their task is to have, based on the decision matrix, we provide them. They say, okay, if you have a shipment with this weight to this destination and this time requirement, you go with this forwarder or this service. And if you have another one, you take this one. And uh, they go back to the forwarders, which we still choose. So it's not a 4PL, it's a 3PL. So we are still having control of the contracts. So they choose then, based on our contracts, the right uh, path and organize the shipment. Right. Um, we have a lot of benefits. Now we control the freight. Uh, DHL Control Tower provides us daily with a log sheet. That's an that's a, a encoring uh, list. 
where they put all the purchase orders which are in the pipeline, including the tracking numbers from where to where it's going. Uh, they actualize it also with the milestones, the tracking milestones. So and this uh, list goes every evening to a distribution list at Husky, which is the complete supply chain globally. So each and every buyer uh, or commodity manager knows exactly which supplier will ship what, which PO, which parts, with what tracking number and when will it be arrived. And already at the time of the pickup request, not only when it's already picked up. So this was a much better visibility since then. Uh, we could organize our ramp much better because we have just a few own for what is working for us now. So we can define the times, the arrival times. We can define the pickup times, of course. So overtime situation, queue on the ramp really disappeared. Visibility increased. And of course, uh, we have now net price with the uh, suppliers and the logistics band is very visible in our own books. So we have no hidden profits or whatever. So it was also a huge cost saving initiative. I think you've given us, given us a good uh, description of how uh, sophisticated and uh, professional your organization works. Um, Luxembourg uh, in 2018, we were obviously very proud that it made it to the second place of the logistics performance index. We now tend to look at the average of the 10, 12 years and we, we know we are a country which is at least seen as logistics friendly category. Um, how do you see uh, the global competitiveness in Luxembourg uh, with Husky after these days uh, compared as you probably have a similar organization in Shanghai, for example? First of all, we are blessed here in, in uh, Luxembourg with a geographic position. We are in the center of Europe, which is really good, especially when it comes to our supply chain to Husky and also to our delivery to our customers here from Luxembourg campus. Uh, we have a great airport next to us, which is also good. Uh, but we can still, of course, improve some things, right? Um, so, for example, the airport is used by Cargolux, which is the, the major player here, of course. But, of course, um, we could have more connections uh, from Luxembourg with other airlines. That would be one wish, talking as an industrial customer. Also, when we look at the uh, current players here on the market, uh, in, in the express market, for example, um, they all serve Luxembourg from Brussels or other hubs. Uh, so direct flights from their central hubs, for example, Leipzig, um, to Luxembourg would help to improve a lot here the situation. So we could gain uh, later pickups or earlier deliveries. And that would make us more attractive also First of all, the internal competition, but also other companies may come and establish here their spare part center or whatever, right? So there is still some room we could improve, but generally compared to our colleagues within the Husky network, I would say we are very well positioned here. Okay, so you say it's already good here in the logistical center of Dudelange, it's already good but it could improve, it could be done. Do you, do you have any wishes if, you know, it's election year and we have commune election in June, we have national elections in October, if you would like to, if you, if you could express some wishes for our politicians, what would those be? Yeah, actually the politics could support the, the companies, not only the industrial companies, but also the forwarding companies. And if they're doing well, that helps us in an industry to just get 
as I said, uh, maybe better flight or plane options to land here or to to organize them could be, let's say, I don't know, less cost for for landing or uh, improved handlings uh, or later times, things like that. Um, also support uh, uh, companies when they want to invest here. Uh, we had recently some interesting developments here. One example, um, let me go to less than truckload, right? Coupage, Stückgut uh, in uh, German. Um, traditionally, Luxembourg was served always from the surrounding countries. Usually the big players came from Saarbrücken to serve Luxembourg or from Trier area or from some Belgium or Mestiobel area and not that many LTL companies here in Luxembourg. Um, the, the problem at that time was that, or it still is, um, that the trucks from the LTL, the delivery comes quite late and they have to leave Luxembourg quite early in the afternoon to meet their line holes in their home depot. So that means the pure operational time here in Luxembourg is very small and it, it's less attractive for industrial companies to go with those companies. There's only one forwarder who have chosen a different way, which I really appreciate. Um, they went to Luxembourg, built in the less than truckload station here, knowing that the volume on the Luxembourg market is not high enough to justify a lot of lanes going in and out uh, from their facility, but they had a chance to uh, extend the circle around Luxembourg so they also pick an, pick up a delivery from a part of, uh, let's say, Saarland, Trier region in Germany or from Alain and other regions in Belgium and also the circle a little bit bigger to Thierville-Mess. Uh, so they just forget about the border. They just make the circle bigger around Luxembourg and have more volume. That justifies for them to have more lanes and this gives a better service. And That's the big advantage for us as industry. We can get the parts very early in the morning and we can have pickups very late in the evening. And of course, there are other companies that could do the same. But sometimes they're, let's say, uh, still thinking in clusters or they belong to Benelux cluster or to the French cluster, German cluster. Um, and sometimes the branch managers here, they, they want to... Uh, uh, to go in that direction, but they're a little bit blocked from that. And here could the politics maybe support a little bit better or a little bit more to just talk to the big players and the, the CEOs of the companies. If it's, I don't want to mention names here, right? But the, the big players that they may think more Europe, just wipe out the borders between Luxembourg, French, Germany and, and, and Belgium, just say, okay, make just a circle where it makes sense operational wise and forget about your clusters. Right. And that would be a, a thing that would help all the industrial companies here on the market because then we yeah, had more options uh, and more options just means more business. Okay, um, I think the government announced last November that they gonna find uh, 30,000 square meter for Vodafone here in the neighborhood. So probably uh, if Vodafone puts their European headquarters with 30,000 square meters here in the neighborhood, that should be a good message for this type of companies also to reinforce their presence here. Absolutely, because mm -hmm. I'm quite sure that Vodafone, of course, they maybe go more for smaller shipments just because of the size of their products. I only can yeah. assume. Yeah. 
servers but, and it's servers and cell phones and this type of yeah, products. If they have also, let's say, partial loads or a bigger loads, they need LTL services. And uh, with somebody who has to pick up latest, let's say, 2 or 3 p.m., that's not where you run a, or how you run a European network and, and spare parts or okay. serve your, your companies, right? So okay. more players on the LTL market would be great. The one we have here, it's very good. Right, uh, uh, but of course nobody is perfect, so there are areas we could improve. Right. Okay, I think you're making the point. Uh, so our listeners <coughs> will analyze your uh, your uh, feedback. Uh, today we wanted to talk about the future of logistics. We know that uh, you have uh, some way of looking at the uh, at the logistics in future. If you could dream like uh, Hugo Gansbach. Not everybody knows that Hugo Gensbach is a Luxembourg-born inventor who actually coined the term of science fiction. So if you could think, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ahead, what do you think, how do you imagine, how do you dream logistics? What will be definitely happen and what would be a big game changer is the self-driving vehicles or trucks. I mean, uh, it's not really future. We just had a UECC meeting here in Luxembourg, uh, very interesting, by the way. And we saw that there are already companies existing that are doing business in that field. Of course, in the first steps, and it's not fully developed in all areas. A lot of legal restrictions are still there from EU side or governmental side. But I think that's a Nokia iPhone moment. Um, was always my example and the colleague used it here. Uh, it, it's a Nokia iPhone moment because as soon as the EU will decide that self-driving vehicles are allowed and can go on the streets, this will change everything, especially in the trucking business. So what does it mean? Uh, if you take out the drivers of the whole game of the trucking business, you can, first of all, gain more load meters. That's the very first simple thing, because you don't need a driver's cabin anymore, right? Um, you don't need to take care for driving hours, working hours. And even if you still can't go everywhere with a self-driving vehicle, we saw solutions with remote driving, like a drone, whatever. So people, future drivers might sit at in the home office. In the home office, yeah. Right, and drive a car or a, a truck when they arrive at a a roundabout or the tricky ramp situation which is not on a on a map somewhere um, but as long as the long distance can be driven independently that would be already a game changer so we get more load meters which is interesting for the industry uh, companies because the, of course the rates will drop just by that you take out the driver of that calculation which is the one of the biggest cost driver, so this will change everything. And even if you need maybe one driver for 10 trucks to make the parking or the ramp or whatever, it's still more cost efficient. And uh, you can drive theoretically 24 hours, so you will be faster, especially on long distance, which would be a challenge also for the rail companies. Um, so the big question for me is always, do we need more rail in the future or do we have more competition and need less rail because uh, and, the more self road, and more road than in that case yeah because the self-driving truck combines the advantage of the rail and compensates the disadvantage of the rail to have not the let's say the field distribution area so the competition will be way more on that so that could be a tricky situation for the cfls on this planet 
right? Um, nevertheless, when we look then for the uh, e-fuel, or not e-fuel, but uh, for the battery-driven uh, uh, trucks, they have issues with the long range. So here it could be a collaboration between rail and trucks because you can put a self-driven vehicle also still on a rail and you don't have a driver who is useless on the truck waiting until it's offloaded again. Uh, and you compensate the disadvantage now that you have only the trailers on the uh, intermodal transport for CFL, for example, right? So there are interesting new options for the future, definitely from, uh, with that uh, technique. Um, other interesting things is if you take out the driver of that whole uh, event of, of, of driving a truck, you can uh, also... Let, let, let's say for some people, we, we lack drivers, so it's not it's not putting somebody uh, on hold. Exactly. It's, it's the fact that we don't find drivers, actually. Exactly. So we, we have that uh, uh, issue less that we don't find drivers. Not that we don't need any driver anymore, but the, the big problem we have at the moment, not uh, enough drivers, this will definitely disappear. And it's also interesting for the politics. Uh, um, at the moment, the road taxes are almost everywhere flat. So you pay the same euros and, and, and cents uh, per kilometer and uh, doesn't matter which time you're driving. And you can't really go in a different way at the moment because if you say, okay, between seven and nine in the morning rush hour, you, you increase the, the road tax, for example, and the trucks would be just not, uh, too expensive to drive on the road, so they have to park somewhere. If you have the driver on it, it would be very expensive. If you take out the driver of that calculation, you could easily make a, let's say, time-critical uh, uh, road tax approach and say, okay, in the rush hours in the morning or in the evening, you just take out the road, uh, the trucks by just increase the, the road tax to one euro, two euros per kilometer. And no driver is affected by that. So you don't kill some driving times or working times from the drivers, right? So for the politicians, it would be a much better uh, a way to optimize the highways. Exactly, to use them basically 24 hours a day. Yeah. Exactly, because uh, the question is always, do we have enough highways? Do we need more highways? My personal opinion is we don't need more highways because we have just a bad usage of the existing highways. If we use them to rush times more than 100% and have create traffic jams. And, and maybe 18, 19 hours a day, there is not that much traffic. Not on every road, that's clear. There are Routes in, in uh, Europe, they are always frequented, but a lot of countries uh, side highways could could be enough, but you still have a traffic jam in the morning and the evening at the moment. Also, what you could easily uh, reach with that is that you can make variable highway lanes, as we have already in US, and I see it. If you go to the Europa Park in Rust, for example, in the morning you have three lanes going in, and one out, and in the evening they just just switch that, and you have three lanes out and one in. You could do that here very easily in Luxembourg, right? Going to Luxembourg City, especially Indeed. from France, we we just built here a, a new lane. We could also just create a variable a middle uh, uh, yeah, fence, and say in the morning you you have five lanes towards Luxembourg and just one lane in the other side, and in the evening you just switch that, right? technique is there to do that and you don't need more lanes you just use the existing ones in a better way 
right? Things like that. And this is all mm-hmm. uh, can be enabled by the uh, uh, self-driving vehicle because it would be easily done by that. Uh, we saw that actually in Seoul last year, in November, December, we were um, a few days in Seoul and there all buses are in the middle of the street and they cross one another, but they are protected from the other cars. So buses continue to drive on their fast lane, whereas sometimes there is uh, there is congestion for, for cars and trucks. I see uh, you have quite good ideas here. Uh, I'm not very sure how far that is even science fiction. I think that's quite reasonable. One point which you're making is also, which I'm very happy is, as we anyhow will use more electrical drives, because I think that's going to come, there will also be less noise. So even driving 24 hours probably will still give us less noise on the highways than less, today. Less noise on the highways. Uh, you can save energy because you can make the electronical uh, hook, actually, so the trucks will drive closer. You don't need to have the safety distance uh, as you have at the moment, right? So you also save space. Um, this also saves energy less uh, uh, emissions, less noise. And actually in my home area is at, at the moment a discussion, a big discussion around rest areas and parking areas for truck drivers. This will also disappear, this this discussion, right? Uh, and of course it's for the drivers much better if they can make it in the home office rather than being four weeks away somewhere on the, on the road uh, away from family. That's the biggest reason why we don't find new drivers, right? Correct. So, uh, um, so you're talking about transport, talking about uh, warehousing and so on. Where do you see automation, robotization going? Uh, what what do we have to do or what can we do to improve efficiency? So automation and robotization, especially when it comes to warehouse operations, that will be, of course, also a major field for future development. Uh, so beside the vehicles, uh, I see the tendency for fully automated warehouses. We have very good examples already here in Luxembourg, uh, where you have the pick and pack operations already done by small robots going to the warehouse. So you save a lot of space because you don't need the, the big forklift uh, floors. Um, next very big uh, uh, advantage is you can mix customers in one warehouse. You can do it already today, but uh, with, if it's fully automated, the let's say the, the chances to be more dense in, uh, in, the, in the mix of the customer in one existing warehouse is better. Uh, so you can control it better, manage it better, so you need less space, you are more efficient, and of course for the customer it's more interesting because you don't need to pay the additional space and you say, okay, and I want 2,000 square meters, and maybe you have times you use only 1,600, you, you pay 1,400 square meters space, right? And with fully automated warehouses, this risk or this this issue would just decrease, right? Uh, I see also a big chance in combination with the self-driving trucks. If you have a fully automated warehouse operation and the pick and pack operations, you could easily make an automated loading on a self-driving vehicle. So uh, the dream of a automated supply chain is coming closer. Um, it doesn't mean that we have no employees anymore in these warehouses, but the jobs will be different. Less, uh, less the, let's say, manual and physical movement of goods from people. It's more IT maintenance uh, or general maintenance or 
Electric process development, exception uh, so management, this kind of stuff. So we need higher qualified people to run those jobs. So we need more engineering. Uh, next step, ChatGPT was on all over starting this year or end of last year. Artificial intelligence. What can we use it according to you? That's a huge field. And I think it's beyond our imagination what we can do in maybe 20, 30 years. But uh, to start with a few thoughts, um, it will definitely help to just connect the two fields we just discussed. Self-driving vehicles plus automated warehouses. We need somehow intelligence to manage that. And uh, AI would definitely help here. Um, let's say we had, we had a big discussion a couple of years ago about the Internet of Things. So it was all over the, the news everywhere and everyone said that's the new thing. The Internet of Things uh, was designed to that machines or parts say, hey, I need a replacement, I need a spare part. So it was still reactive. With AI, I think that will go to push that to the next level because the AI can predict already when this will happen. So not waiting until a machine has a, a red alarm and said, I need a new part. It's already that the AI knows, okay, in two weeks from now, the machine might give that sign. And we can start already now then the supply chain and start building a, a production, have the chain to complete the supply chain organized by the AI means the production starts, the warehouse planning starts, the inventory planning starts, the loading process starts, maybe even the, the documents are already created. And this is all triggered by the perception what will happen in two, three weeks with a certain machine or car or whatever, right? This is just one example. Or if you want to develop uh, and create your fleet of trucks, um, you need an AI to organize when, for example, a driver has to step in and when a truck can still drive independently, right? Or when do I put it on a rail for intermodal transport or when it's better to drive it on a, uh, on a highway independently? That's not something a human should do. That's something AI can do very easily, right? These are very small examples. And uh, the interesting and fascinating uh, thing is there will be so many future areas we can uh, add to that AI field. As I said, it's beyond our imagination today, right? I mean, 2007, I had to learn what the, uh, the word app application means for when they talk about smartphones and a year two years later we had a complete area of new developers and uh, software engineers and today it's totally normal right yeah, it's today 16 years right today your cell phone knows that for example i'm going every wednesday to play volleyball in oh, yeah. gasbrich <laughs> a little bit little and bit it tells scary. you already how long you will need to go there and when you should you need to leave exactly and um that's on one side scaring, right? But uh, on the other side, it's supporting, right? And uh, what supports you, in this case, in the small area, private life, but for the uh, business life, you can use the data for a lot of things, right? So supply chain is getting more complicated. Where do we find the talents? Maybe head over to Jill. Yeah, thank you uh, for those very inspiring insights about the uh, future of logistics. 
So I think, as Malik already said, um, it's the right time to move on to the talents. Acquiring the right talents is quite crucial to remain competitive and to actually have people building this future. So how do you currently find and train your talents? So Husky has a strong apprenticeship program, not only for technical people, uh, but also for logistics and warehousing. Uh, so we have every year apprentices for the questionnaire logistics, for example, uh, and most of them stay within the company uh, after they're finished, of course. And uh, meanwhile, we have also the next generation of former apprentices who now do the next step, the DT. And I'm absolutely happy that Luxembourg goes the way to have the responsible logistics, which is then the next evolution of that job profile to have also people trained for the middle management and the next level of uh, yeah, managing companies, right? Um, we, as Husky, we go to schools, for example, to apply for the school students to show them what we are doing. Of course, the focus was in the past more on technical professions um, because the, there was more a lack for Husky than for logistics. But also uh, we go in schools and we use our existing apprentices and former apprentices to be an advocate in our uh, uh, campus here to say, talk to your friends, uh, tell them what you did and that you liked it, of course, and then uh, let's apply them, uh, let's do them apply at Husky, right? So talking a bit about the war of talents, on a scale from one to 10, where do you think are we on finding those appropriate talents or where do you think we could be? I think that's a question direction more Luxembourg generally, right? How can we find talents? Luxembourg has a lot of big advantages, location and uh, let's say short ways to government. But of course we have not enough people to really have a lot of professions in each and every business area, right? Uh, so, of course, we need to get the best talents out of Luxembourg, but also need the talents from maybe the surrounding uh, countries and also in make them interested in logistics environment. Uh, Luxembourg is an absolute correct way and the right way to, to say we have to train ourselves the logistics people, just questionnaire, DT and responsible logistics. An idea would be also to say, okay, there are similar programs, for example, in Germany. We have the Speditionskaufmann, Verkehrsfachwirt, which is, let's say, the similar path, a little bit different uh, focus, but generally the same idea. And um, somebody in, in, in uh, Luxembourg might go also to German to, to get input from there. And also some Germans could go to Luxembourg to see what's happening here. The big advantage here is, the, of course, the, the language. You have the three languages as a default for everyone, which is great. In Germany, it's just not like that. Uh, so people from Germany, if they would come here, they would benefit. On the other side, Luxembourgish students, if they would go to Germany, um, as an example, they could benefit from the, let's say, wider variety of uh, uh, just the logistics field, just because that's the nature of the market there. So it could be a win-win situation. And of course, if some French or German students are going to Luxembourg for two, three months in intern or whatever, they may say, well, Luxembourg is a nice country to live and they come and stay. 
So I think that would be an, uh, an idea. Uh, also to have the, uh, to can compare a little bit better the, the both professions. Uh, we spoke about it before, right? Uh, um, to just see, okay, what's the focus in the responsible logistics? What's the focus on Verkehrswachwirt? It's both level six education and training. Uh, so do we go here in Luxembourg more to align that or do we separate and say, okay, we have on purpose and a different focus to get maybe a better alternative for other people in, in France or uh, Germany. So there are multiple ways uh, we, we could think. And uh, the most important thing for me here for Luxembourg is to get the people here in Luxembourg interested in logistics and also make it attractive for people outside Luxembourg. There's one idea to um, get the young school uh, kids interested in logistics, for example. I mean, I have four kids, right? So I went through all that. They are now adult, <laughs> but uh, I saw their interests. They're, they still want to uh, uh, be interactive with other people. It happens more on social media at the moment, or in, in newer times, but still they want to interact, right? They want to create something, right? And everybody wants to do something with IT. It's just like that. It's a new world, right? And if you asked kids today in the school that, what's your dream job in the future, you get everything, but nobody would say, I dream of a job in logistics. Not a single person would tell that. But if you tell them, hey, you can do it in IT, because what we just stressed here, automation, self-driving, AI, logistics full of IT, right? We need a lot of IT power in uh, future logistics developments. So we need talents here. You can be very creative, especially logistics will change that much in the next 10, 15, 20 years. It's like you start with a white paper and you redesign, you redevelop logistics completely new. You can be really be creative, right? And of course, logistics is the, the one profession you are in contact with all over the world people, right? You can, in the morning you talk to China, in the afternoon you talk to Canada or US. More international, it's not possible. I don't know any other area of professions where you have that many international contacts. So we just need to sell to the school kids uh, that logistics is a field that can meet all the expectations. And how can we do that? The, the idea of this yellow bus I found really, really great. That's something they they see and they, they remember. But maybe it's also an idea to take people from IT departments or logistics uh, uh, the companies going to school maybe for a week when they have a workshop week and say, okay, let's let's talk about an IT workshop week they have. Give them a practical case. Make a workshop in the school, I don't know in which grade, uh, to say, okay, you, you should learn to program and you program something which maybe later in a company will work. So they have an idea what, what they learned today, what is the, the business case later, so they can have the interaction they see what's happening later on and maybe they remember and when, it, when they have to graduate, they just say, you know what, I go to logistics, I apply there, right? Things like that, just translate the, the desire and the wishes of the kids into the logistics, what we provide, and then we are attractive. Uh, sounds great. I think you're really making a case here for the logistics valley here of Tudelange. Uh, <laughs> like like in 30 years ago, it was the Silicon Valley uh, yeah. over in California. 
You gave us a lot of insights. Uh, this is Michael Kweich from Halski, logistics manager at Halski, and I think we come to an end of an inspiring um, uh, discussion today. Um, uh, usually we finish the podcast with a final question. What is your personal dream that you still want to fulfill? My personal dream? I mean, um, after my active life in some years, I still have some years to go, But in some years, I dream of being in my garden, surrounded by our animals, having my tablet and watching online the students and the people I met over the, the last years. And I'm actually also a voluntary teacher uh, in Germany. And I had a lot of people I just met, taught, educated, mentored, supported over the last years. And it's great to see them grow in their personal career. But also I hope that they will take on the challenge, the new challenges in logistics and that they're right set up to manage all that. Because what, they, what I learned or what you learned, uh, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, will turn to something completely new. That's very fascinating and exciting to see that. Uh, and I hope I can be proud and look back a little bit proud to be a very, very small part of that and say, okay, some of the ideas I put in as a small seed of some people are now growing and they go in a certain direction. Because for me personally, nothing is more satisfying than to just see people grow and be successful. There's nothing to add. Thank you very much, Michael, for this uh, nice podcast and inspiring Thank thoughts. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to Logistics Conversation. You can find our podcast and interview on SoundCloud. Spotify and of course our webpage www.c4l.lu. Thank you.